Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. We hope you are enjoying MLK Day here in the US. We have a great show for you today. We have an accidental conversation about equality. We're talking about Tim Cook setting an example potentially for the rest of uh, the big tech world by taking a 40% pay cut. That, as you might imagine, leads to an in-depth discussion over whether these CEOs deserve their massive comp packages and whether in the age of austerity, CEOs are going to have to signal their commitment to austerity by cutting their own pay. Then a great conversation uh, between Jason and the founder of Acquire.com, Andrew Gazdecki. Overall, it's going to be a fantastic show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn Marketing. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups. Notion. Notion is the one place for notes, docs, projects, and everyday work that goes way beyond a wiki. Get started for free at notion.com slash Jason. And Formulate. Formulate matches you to a personal chemist to customize your products and solve your hair, scalp, and skincare goals like thinning, itchiness, and flakes. See how they use robots to custom mix each bottle and get 25% off by visiting formulate.co slash twist. All right. It's Monday. It's Monday. Uh, happy MLK Day, everybody. Yeah. I hope you're out volunteering, everybody. Yeah, Day of we're, service. we're off today, but we pre-tape this. Uh, so we have a little content for you. Uh, and in case you're thinking, news, I saw that outfit on Friday. Yes. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> wait a Can't second. Us. My cute Rent the Runway dress. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. We got some news for you, though. We're still here. Well, right off the top, uh, Tim Cook's uh, austerity measures are kicking in. Yeah, at the top. What a concept. There you go. You have actually been predicting that some mm. of these austerity measures could result in pay cuts. And it had not occurred to me to say, I wish it had. I'm uh, Clearly, I still got to work on my populist cred. Mm. I wish I had thought to say, you should start with CEO pay. Absolutely. Oh, and that's now Tim Cook, where it's start, yeah. Tim Cook has just shined the spotlight. I mean, he is so clever how he does this, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like, he's still going to make $50 million, mm -hmm. but... He has just set an example for all of the rest of the industry by mm. taking a 40% pay cut in oh, wow. 2023. He takes his total compensation from about $99 million overall, $83 million of that is in stock awards, yep. uh, 12 million in incentives and 3 million in salary down to a total package of $49 million. Cut that in half. We did the math and determined that Apple at $150,000 ahead could save about 333 jobs with that 50 mil. Interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. So for people who don't know, the way this happens is on a public company, you have what's called a comp committee, compensation committee, and they will theoretically uh, act as a uh, judge and jury on how much executives, top executives should get paid. Um, but the inside line is those folks tend to not be <laughs> shareholders of the company or the largest shareholders of the company they tend to be appointed by management and they're in a dance with management uh to get everybody paid uh yeah. there are some companies that had boards where the boards owned no shares in the company had never put a dollar and bought any shares in the company uh, and they served only uh to you know line their own pockets and when an investor buys a large chunk of shares they are called activists just very weird. I think the way this these companies should work is some large percentage of the board members, certainly the comp committee, should be by the percentage ownership in the company. I agree. 
I, everything about corporate boards, I think is so fascinating. If anybody has the exact perfect book that I need to read about corporate boards in America, please tell me because it's such a fascinating and like arguably quite corrupt part of governance. Yes. Um, but it is very interesting. The compensation committee at Mm -hmm. Apple, uh, which is comprised of Art Levinson, Al Gore and Andrea Young, Jung, Mm -hmm. J-U-N-G said it reached out to institutional shareholders actually to ask how they felt about Cook's pay. Mm-hmm. And in 2021's, what they call it, they call it a say on pay vote, mm-hmm. 64% of shareholders approved of his compensation. And that was down from the 95% that approved it for Apple's 2020 fiscal year. Yeah. And they said, based on these important conversations, we've made changes to the size and structure of Tim's 2023 compensation. Um, what I also think is interesting is that his compensation compared to some of his peers is not wildly high. Mm. So uh, Sundar Pichai at Google, his 2021 total comp was $6 million, but his 2019 total comp was $280 million. Okay. And so that was based on some stock awards, I'm on sure. stock awards, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's sort of like all over the place based on stock. Zuckerberg seems pretty consistent mm-hmm. at, you know, 2019 was 23 million total, 25 million total, and then 2021 was 26 million in total comp yeah um andy jassy in 2019 i mean this guy this is where this is where amazon's gonna have a hard time credibly selling many more riffs unless they take a look at jassy's compensation because in 2019 Mm. it was three hundred and forty-eight thousand. but in 2021 it was 212 million quarter bill quarter bill in the last three years quarter bill yeah i mean Right there. These are non-founders in, in, I think, three of the four cases, right? Uh, Zuckerberg's the only founder. And mm-hmm. so it's not like they're Zuckerberg sitting on 25, 50, 100 billion in equity, right? Right. So they do, there is a competition for these executives. Um, and, you know, losing Satya Nadell or losing Andy Jassy, losing Tim Cook to another company, which is a possibility uh, you know, if an Airbnb or an Uber wanted Andy Jassy mm-hmm. picking, you know, like a, if uh, a, a random company, uh, Uber, DoorDash, you know, if either of those companies, you know, needed a new CEO at some point, let's just say those uh, CEOs decided to move on voluntarily. I'm not I'm not saying they should be removed, just to be clear here. Yeah. Uh, and you wanted Andy Jassy. Well, how do you get him to work at a 50 to 100 billion dollar startup? Y- yeah, you give him a quarter billion dollars in equity comp, you know, and, and Amazon doesn't want to lose him. So small price to pay uh, overall, but optics is when this right has an issue. And, and so Amazon just laid off 28,000 employees total. 18,000 white collar. Yeah. They had laid off 10 and then another 18. No, 10 and 8. I think I think the 18 number is the total. I think it was 10 and then they added 8. It's for a total we'll of 18. We'll check. We'll check. I'm but 99% sure about this. If he um, took a, yeah. you know, 50% compensation cut, they could keep a thousand. An or, interesting way to look at it. Which is, it's just, I mean, look, and they may not need to keep those employees at mm. all. But if you are talking your book on austerity yeah. and your total pay comp was $212 million. And to be clear, Nadella mm-hmm. at Microsoft. 2020, 44 million, 2021, 49 million, 2022, yep. 54 million. Like this guy is the goat of all CEO goats. And he's making seems a quarter cheap. what Jassy's making. Yeah, it seems cheap. 18,000 total. Seems Thank underpaid. You. 
I mean, I know it's, it's obnoxious to say $50 million dollars a year seems underpaid. You have to understand if you take one of these jobs, it is all encompassing. It's basically the end of your life. Like you cannot do anything else. The amount of pressure you are under the tenure of these CEOs, you know, I mean, maybe I would five to 10 years. People who do that at launch for $50,000 a year. So like, I mean, you know, people you, work you hard. I'm saying people work hard at lots of different salaries. And like when CEO you say comp launch, is you mean a, our company launch or yeah, launching there are a people, company? Yeah, there are people who oh, consider okay. this job all encompassing for like a lot less money. I mean, a no, lot, a lot. I know, but you don't have to I understand. be responsible like, I really do understand the level a of million stress. people. Yeah. I'm it's just saying yeah. when you're talking about salaries that are like a thousand, a hundred thousand, ten thousand times, a hundred thousand mm. times that of your lowest paid employee. Like, I don't know that the workload is a hundred thousand times harder. I, you know, the, I, I, I can take the counter of this. Like yeah. you, these jobs are so hard to reach this level of accomplishment to be able to run one of these companies. And then you are under so much pressure. You, if you're but an employee at Amazon, I'll take lunch out of this, but uh, because yeah, it's hard to work for me. <laughs> a thousand times, I guess not. Uh, but uh, my, if you are an employee at Microsoft, yeah, you can just f off anytime you want. You can take two weeks off. You can take a leave of absence. It's just yeah, you're you're under whatever stress really, you're under. Like, you're putting yourself under. I'm not trying to come super yeah. hard at CEO pay. Yeah, but you do have to acknowledge this is a conversation. That is occurring and there have been ongoing questions for years because ceo pay has increased dramatic you know like many many times faster mm -hmm. than for example wages which have been stagnant for 40 years right like that's not an area where wages are stagnant and i don't think that you would argue that the job got that much harder over the last decade um yeah i mean these big numbers uh, it's a marketplace is the way I would say it. And the marketplace was paying tech workers in Silicon Valley at these same companies. 250, CEO 500. Okay. Yeah. CEO pay, CEO pay has increased yeah. 1,322% since okay. 1978. CEOs were paid 351 times as much as a typical worker in 2020. So CEO pay is up 1,300%. That kind of makes sense to me. The average American wages have been flat for 40 years have been in that same period hmm. effectively flat that's so yeah. i'm just saying from a math perspective that is the conversation around cea ceo pay yeah. like you can't pretend that conversation is not happening yeah what i'd say is the value Did of these the job individuals 1300 harder i would say the value of these individuals this is about value the value these individuals these elite executives provide is even more valuable than the percentage more they're getting paid the the average employee at Amazon versus Andy, if he gets paid 350 times what they get paid, or even a 1000 times, mm -hmm. I'd say he's 10,000 times more important than the average employee, his ability to do that just like Steph Curry is, you yeah. know, a 1000 times more. I mean, it's, you it's just know, the, the, I believe in the power law when it comes yeah, to talent. This is like I a do. power law. I message. believe there is a talent power law. Yeah, 100%. I really do believe that. I it's also a nuanced think conversation that it right I it and it should be a nuanced yeah. conversation like talent is real and and a yeah. lot of people want to pretend that it's not right and want to pretend that it shouldn't be compensated accordingly I am not one of those people yeah there are definitely people who are more talented than others and they should be paid accordingly if you are a business to business marketer 
B2B, your needs are unique. You know that. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face really complex decisions. Most of the time, traditional marketing channels just don't cut it. Well, here's the good news. LinkedIn ads is built specifically for business-to-business marketers, people like you. So here's the only stat you will ever need on why you have to market on LinkedIn. LinkedIn ads give you direct access to 875 million members and 180 million of those are senior level executives. You know, the ones who make the decisions and 10 million of those are the C-level executives, their bosses, and no other platform in the world can offer you those kind of eyeballs and allow you to target very specifically the titles and the sizes of the companies. In fact, audiences on LinkedIn have twice the buying power of the average web audience. And LinkedIn is also going to help you reach your audience in a very respectful environment. There's no shenanigans, there's no politics, there's no racy content, it's business. So when you're on LinkedIn, you're thinking about business, you're doing business, Yeah, you know what that does. It makes you more open to business products and services. So here's your call to action. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign. That's right. There's $100 waiting for you to give it a shot. Go to linkedin.com slash this week in startups to claim your credit right now. That's linkedin.com slash this week in startups. Terms and conditions do apply. I think where where this where CEO pay and Tim Cook has quite cleverly made it Mm. an issue where it's going to become an issue is in this the thing that we've been talking about right where you have this like managerial class being like Mm. you're all entitled and spoiled and there are too many of you yeah and you have workers doing this kind of revolt like you've been treating us like like crap forever which and you won't let me bring my politics to work which right like everybody's everybody's side yeah is debatable and into that wades tim cook being like i'm gonna take a 50 million dollar pay cut And all of a sudden, Andy Jassy is going to be like, you bastard. (laughs) I mean, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Uncomfortable truths. Yep. It is a marketplace. If you are worth more, then go prove it. And here's what Andy Jassy or Tim Cook could prove immediately to Amazon shareholders and to Apple shareholders. Mm -hmm. They could prove immediately that they're underpaid by simply going to Uber or Airbnb. Again, in this hypothetical, I'm just picking a a company worth five or 10% of what the trillion dollar companies are worth. If you put that executive on that team, the shareholders of that company would give you 10% ownership in that team, 5% ownership in that team to land that person. Because they're Michael Jordan, Steph Curry level talents, uh, Serena Williams level talent. You, you can, if you can get the number one executive, you would literally give them a billion dollars in shares. If I was as an Uber shareholder, uh, as a Amazon shareholder, as a Disney shareholder, I would give $1 billion to Tim Cook to come to Uber. And that's that no, no dick to Dara. Mm-hmm. I think Dara mm-hmm. would be like, we can get Tim Cook. We, we, that'd be like Clay Thompson saying we can get Steph Curry, right? This would be like Scottie Pippen or whoever, you know, Shaq saying I, we can get Kobe, right? Like they're, they're all all-stars, but some all-stars are, you know, <laughs> better than other all-stars. Yeah. That's the market proof. And the market proof for the rank and file at Google, replaceable, instantly replaceable. And that's where this discussion is uncomfortable. Right. Maybe not uh, every, every, I mean, everybody, the thing is, n- almost all it's uncomfortable. And also I was sitting here trying to figure out with the highest paid women CEOs, it is uncomfortable. And also the assumption of eliteness 
is itself sometimes flawed. And I mm. certainly do not mean to suggest that Satya Nadella is not elite. That's, I mean, Sundar Pichai seems like he might be elite. <laughs> Tim Cook is definitely elite, right? Like Andy Jassy yeah. seems very elite. Like Sundar Pichai is obviously a genius. Who else could do th- what I always come back to who else could do that job and who else would get paid that much. And the fact is like, we don't know. And we have some structures that mean that some people will never get that shot. Mm. The power law is not evenly distributed. Highest paid female CEO in the world is a really interesting. I know. uh, And you can't find like the, all the stories that I found are like from 2015 or whatever. The CEO. Like there's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why don't we know that? Highest paid. Yeah. I'm I'm literally like to ask chat GPT who is the highest paid. Lisa T. Sue. 29.5 half million dollars. What she's, company uh, is she from? She's Intel. Is that right? Uh-huh. No, wait. Not not Intel. She's a- AMC, AMD, AMD, AMD. 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 Yeah. I knew it was chip. I knew it was chip. I mean, that's a legit salary for AMD. Yeah. I don't know what AMD's micro. I mean, what you could also do here is, is very simple. Um, I, and I bet you this is very similar um, to compensation for males uh, and female leads in superhero films. Uh, I bet yeah. you. The, they're taking the box office, i.e. market cap, and they're looking at box office, which equals market cap in this, and AMD has a market cap of uh, $113 billion. She gets 29 She gets $30 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, Airbnb's market cap is $100 billion or so, right? Like, so you just look at those and just say, where do, where does the, and the market cap for Tim Cook? If he's getting fifty million a year and he was getting hundred, that's a two trillion dollar company. Mm-hmm. So uh, he should be getting on the market cap size. It's a twenty times larger company. Interesting. And in terms of profitability, it's massively more profitable than General AMD Motors. Or, way smaller market cap, I think. Right, Mary Mary Barra is at twenty nine million. Adina uh, Friedman at Nasdaq is worth twenty million. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's a fifty billion dollar company. So yeah. one might argue they are uh, overpaid, or maybe there's a floor for CEO pay. Yeah. But I, I think the boards are acutely aware of this in 2023, and they would probably err on the side of, I don't want to say overcompensating a female CEO, but making sure it was fair, just like I think Disney wanted to make sure it was I fair. Hope. I would hope. Yeah. Like, what did Captain Marvel get? Uh, Brie Larson. I wonder if, and then in comparison, because didn't, I think more, um, Captain Marvel did really well at the box office. I anyway. think so. She really talked about she talked about pay disparities, I think, though. Yeah. Anyway, it's you know, I don't mean to I'm not trying to like I'm not trying to insert this into every conversation. I just think like we make a Why not? Yeah. we make a baseline assumption about who is elite that excludes a lot of people because we're just like, well, you can't possibly be. I mean, like I'm, you know, I sit here and chafe constantly about like I said that thing that Friedberg said like two months ago or I said saturation before sex tweeted about it. Right. But like who gets credit for that? They do. There's sort of like uh, a, there's like a, there's baseline stuff that ha- you cannot sit here and tell me of all people, this doesn't happen. Well, it no, happens. I mean, I think in the, in the, in our business of like opinions and hot takes, you know, it's just very hard to figure out who had the hot take first. A lot of okay, times I'll hear our contemporaries. You, I am using that as but one example of a oh. large societal issue that you cannot pretend does not, you cannot pedant your way out of uh, assuming that this larger societal issue does not happen. The women are not taken as seriously. The people of color are not taken as seriously that they're not given the same opportunities. 
You're, yeah, so, I, you're I like literally to... making a face as though you have no, never no, heard no. this what before. I, I, I think generally, historically, that's been correct. And then what I like to do is look at individual verticals and then confirm that for myself. Like, I, it would be good to confirm it for CEO pay. Like, if we're going to make that statement, mm -hmm. okay, women CEOs aren't paid as well as male CEOs. I think actually just looking up the data is a good first place to start and see if that actually still exists because we've now had the law change in California about boards. And then, you know, with Marvel films specifically, I know that this has been like a, a massive discussion. So I'd be very interested to see what Brie Larson got since Captain Marvel made a billion dollars. Like, did she get and then what did Robert Downey Jr. get paid on his first Iron Man? Right? So for a billion dollar lead superhero film, I'd like to see the data actually on female leads versus male leads versus uh, Chadwick Boseman. Was it Chadwick Boseman played play Black Panther? She uh, spoke out about ask demanding more. She earned $5 million for starring in Captain Marvel. And that was no. more than Robert Downey Jr. and Chadwick Boseman got for their own first standalone Marvel films because she was like, you got to ask uh, for what you deserve all the time. More. Yeah. But wait a second. They got paid. She got they only got five million for Wait, a billion dollar film, dude. Like, <laughs> if you want to make if you want to make real money in this world, oh, do not be a movie star. Well, no, you know what it is? Oh, it's always the first one they don't. <laughs> it's the first. It's yeah. the first one, and then it's you the kill them one. on the second and third. Yes, right. if it works. Totally. I guess I think that's the tradition. So in she has been out very loudly advocating for equal pay in the in the other movies too. Because she's doing a second one that's coming. Yeah, yeah. I would like to know what her. ChatGPT, what is she making for her second? ChatGPT, yeah, exactly. Oh, here we go. Captain Marvel 2 will reportedly make Brie Larson the highest paid actress in a superhero film. Good for her. Good for her. Because she's uh, like, she's a warrior for it, too. Like, yeah. you know, she's been a tough negotiator. Scarlett Johansson made $15 million for Black Widow. Wow. Wow. Uh, that's, that's, that's big cash. And she yeah. kind of had to sue to get it, though, right? No, I think that was... Iron Man lawsuit, 1, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. made $500,000 with an unknown well, cut of back-end profits. But that was the first one ever. No, but you know why? There's a backstory there. Oh. And he then you do He was uninsurable because of um, oh, right. his, his previous issues. issues in his personal life. And right. he said, listen, I know that you don't want to bank on me. I want to bank on myself. And I think he was like, I'll do this. Essentially, what is for free. Yep. Or close to free in order to and i'll take it on the come you to know give back. me the back end and you know and then i think he got 250 to 500 million for whatever that last deal was yeah it was like a quarter billion dollars to do like six appearances in, across films mm. uh, all right I, we gotta go yeah. uh we gotta go episode up. uh and uh, a great discussion about fairness and pay on mlk yeah. day a great time Everybody, to have that discussion. it actually is you're right we totally yeah. talked about equality on mlk day guys that was a total accident uh, All right, and but next an important up, discussion. actually, yeah. super great interview that Jason did with Andrew Gazdecki of Acquire.com, formerly known as Micro Acquire. Yeah. Talking about the rebrand, mm. market market. Yeah. How the All economy's changed. Yeah. All right. Coming up right Have now. a great day, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. If you want your business to be more productive, more cost efficient and more impactful, most of all, you need to use Notion. We run our entire business at launch on Notion. And here's a quick story. I was looking for a deal flow CRM. You know, we have 1000s of startups, in fact, 15,000 contact us every year, we then take those 15,000, we meet with about 3000 of them. And then we have all that data. And we're trying to track so many different companies across so many different verticals. So we looked at all these existing solutions out there. And somebody on my team said, you know, I think I can build 
that functionality inside of Notion. So we started this process. We had a group meeting and then we started building it on Notion. And we were able to save, I kid you not, $150,000 to $250,000 per year. Everything just works easy breezy inside of Notion. And you can do it all at a fraction of the cost. Whether you're starting a new gym routine, organizing a trip with friends, or even planning your company goals, Notion is a flexible, collaborative workspace that helps you make meaningful progress in every part of your life. Get started in seconds by choosing from thousands of templates for every task. Then make it your own, from to-do lists to OKR trackers and so much more. Notion lets you build the exact system you want so you can work the way you work best. So here's your call to action. Get started with a free Notion account at notion.com slash Jason. That's right. Make sure slash Jason is all lowercase. Notion.com slash J-A-S-O-N to get started for free right now. All right, everybody. Uh, we're going to talk about mergers and acquisitions right now with the king of acquisitions, Andrew Gazdecki from Acquire.com, previously Micro Acquire. How are you doing, Andrew? Doing good, Jason. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, thanks for coming on the program. It's 2023. There's a ton of M&A going on right now, and I thought we would chop it up and talk about it. Um, I say your name, Gazdecki, with a lot of emphasis, because you have done one of the most brilliant, you have done one of the most brilliant uh, marketing campaigns ever. For people who don't know, uh, on Silicon Valley, there is a guy named Russ Han Hammerman. He's played by Chris Diamantopoulos? Uh, Diamantopoulos, yeah. Diamantopoulos? Oh, Diamantopoulos? I think I got that right. I, sorry, okay. sorry, Chris, if you hear this. Sorry, Chris. Now, he plays Russ Hammerman, who is an iconic character. But you, uh, with Mike Rockwell, <laughs> decided when you were going to make announcements, you would have Chris do these. I guess you got through to him on, on Cameo. Yeah, so the the first one, I've been just a fan of the show. It's oddly yeah. realistic. I'm sure you can relate. And Very much so. Yeah, before I launched MicroQuare, I saw, I just typed in like, is there anyone on, on Silicon Valley? And he, Russ Hanneman was on there. And then I selected him. Mm. And I believe he was like 500 to hire at the time. Now he's like 7,000 to hire. So he's, he's doing pretty good. Yeah. Good for him. Well, anyway, just for the audience, here's an example of these brilliant cameos that you've done and just hiring him to make announcements. Let's listen for a minute. All right. Andrew Gazdecki. Not a very musical name. Not a very sexy name. But it's a name that gets done. Clearly, Andrew. Let's talk about what you're doing right now. You just launched a startup helping other startups find startup buyers. Startup, 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 startup. I like it. That's today's startups. You're trying to find buyers to get startups acquired. That's cool. That's like ROI. ROI. Radio on internet. I thought of that. I made a B. You didn't. Don't feel bad. You thought of startup to find a startup to get the buyers bought up for the startup with the startup to get acquired by the startup with the startup. So you want to start up. Don't start up with me. One day, you, Andrew Gazdecki, are going to make it to Tres Comas. I believe in you. I believe in you. Andrew Gazdecki. So don't start up with your startup that's helping other startups find startups. Come on with this guy. My head hurts. Uh, well, classic. Um, and he just, he's made 
everybody now knows how to pronounce your name. Now, do your friends call you Gazdaggy? They do. Yes. I <laughs> wish I got those videos in middle school because it would have saved me a lot of pain in terms of pronouncing my last name. Try having a last name, Calacanis. People are Calacanis, Calacanis. Yeah. I mean, people get it all wrong all the time. All right. Let's talk about, I think people know what microacquire, now acquire.com. Congratulations on getting the domain name. That's like a million dollar domain name, huh? Thanks. Uh, we paid uh, 200K for it. But, uh, for acquire.com. Good job. Yeah. You want to hear the story behind it? Yeah, I do, actually. I'm a, I'm a domain aficionado as it were yeah so i was trying to get it for about two years just telling you know in communication with the owner and then i was on vacation so no work vacation and the funny part is i was with my uh wife's parents and the owner reached out and said hey we want to sell it kind of you know told him the story things aren't going good in the economy here's my mm -hmm. offer it's 200k take it or leave it and i got the domain and then I go back to, you know, hang out with mm. my family. I'm like, I bought a domain for like $200,000. And everyone's like, wait, are you like, have you are been you drinking? Dumb? Like, like what's okay? Like, like for a domain? But we got a really good deal because they were asking um, six, 700,000 just uh, two years prior. Yeah. I mean, anything that's in the dictionary that's under 10 characters is going to be, you know, a couple of hundred grand. Com.com famously, Alex uh, too got that for like 150k 200k i got inside.com for 60k you know sometimes you get lucky um but a dot com uh of of this stature is absolutely fantastic so microacquire is now acquire.com yep that's correct i heard um angel.com went for like a million bucks so i you know they offered i offered like 250 for it um and somebody who is um i think like angel studios i'm looking at it right now I, I i tried to buy it uh when my book came out some company a software company owned it they found a broker and i guess i think they sold it for three maybe for 400 or 500k which is a little bit above that but angel studios mm -hmm. owns angel.com and uh good for them uh but i think it's like um religious programming kind of situation mm. like if you want to if you want to watch christ um and you accept christ into your heart go to angel.com all right so some rich person started that so yeah you can't get everything and then i was i was gonna buy jason.com uh but some developer bought it and he's jason.com right now i thought that'd be a nice one to have but it wasn't like a must-have for me um uh, jason greenwald i guess he's from florida he's a rich uh developer one um, one domain i almost bought is we're just getting started.com oh i like that one you know, because every startup is like, we're just getting started. We just raised like a Series D. We're just, we just IPO'd. We're just getting started. So I always joke about that, but they wanted a thousand bucks, but like through a check. And I was just like, okay, no. So if any, oh, anybody like, wants yeah. that domain, you could probably He owns get a it. Tesla too. Look at Jason Greenwald. He follows me on Twitter. Oh, he's a Bitcoin guy. That's it. Master of coin. Yeah. So good for him. Um, I think he made a bunch of money in Bitcoin and then bought a killer domain um so let's talk about what's going on in m a obviously we have uh a cataclysmic series of events people raised a lot of money at high valuations now funding has dried up a lot of people are sitting on businesses that can't raise money but that do have a business um and they're kind of caught in a valuation trap you know they may have raised at 50 million 
when they had no revenue, then they got to 2 million in revenue and the market says, hey, 10 times 2 million is 20 million. That's what we think this company's worth, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. What are you seeing in the data? Because if people don't know, acquires a marketplace, you can list your company. If you're a person like me who likes to buy companies or buy things, you can pay, I think, 400 bucks or so for an account. And I think there's like a new premium account for 800 bucks. I won't make it a commercial for it, but the buyers pay a subscription, which is de minimis in cost. Uh, but I guess it keeps the lights on for you. You don't take a transaction fee, right? Where you no. take a small transaction, no transaction no. fee. But we have plans to in the future. What we've been doing is, um, you know, streamlining all the parts of an acquisition from the legal docs to due diligence to creating a P&L. And once that workflow is completed, um, we'll add a small transaction fee, but it'll be lower than an investment bank. How do investment banks charge and select which companies they want to sell, right? Because you're trying to disrupt that sort of process, I assume. Yeah, that's a good question. I actually worked with an investment bank to sell my first company, Business Apps. Mm -hmm. They typically would charge a percentage fee and then a minimum fee. And then they have um, what's called a tail. I'm sure you're very familiar with this. So their minimum fee was $800,000. We didn't end up selling. I was 25 at the time. And I still just had gas in the tank, so I kept going. Um, and then eventually sold to a private equity firm. But I remember being in their offices in San Francisco and saying something along the lines of like, you guys have the coolest job in the world. I do all this work and then I come in here and you guys just take like a, you're going to get like a nice fee off if this all works out. Yeah. And so I think that was probably like the first moment I was like, this would be a cool business to, you know, be involved in or, you know, potentially disrupt. Yeah, I mean, if you are a major firm like Allen and Company, those are like the big firms uh, or Catalyst, they will sell things that are worth billions of dollars. Then they're sort of a mid market in a smaller, more boutique um, kind of space. And these bankers charge something in the range of 5%. They might want a retainer of five or 10k a month to you know kind of work on your documents and try to find buyers they run an auction and they like i said they want a minimum of 800k let's say in a sale if you sell for only 10 million if you sell for 10 million that's eight percent if you sell for 100 million it would be a lot less but then they're kick they would kick in on their like three or four percent fee and try and get three or four million so it's like i guess selling your home you're kind of like well what what do they do for five percent what do they do for six percent so when you do charge a percentage, what are you going to charge, you think? And to try to keep it to 1% or 2%? Yeah, it will probably be like 2 3%. And then we'll have different services that we offer. Like if you want more of a hands-on approach. Because when you sell a business, it's a very emotional, mm. you know, sometimes you need, you know, a business M&A expert all the way to a therapist. So <laughs> depending on like the level of complexity of the deal or the size of the deal, um, we'll probably just go off like a Lehman scale or something like that. Um, and a Lehman scale is just basically, you know, decreases based on the size of the deal. But hmm. um, we haven't made any determinations on exact percentages, but that's probably where it'll land. The larger the deal, the smaller the percentage, and then the smaller the deal, the higher the percentage. Let's talk about what businesses are selling on the marketplace quickly what are buyers looking to buy as we sit here in early january of 2023 if you see a company come up on the uh marketplace and it sells you know in under 30 days what would that business what would the qualities be that it has 
Yeah, definitely. So we focus primarily on profitable SaaS companies. So if you have a five million year bootstrap SaaS company, it's kicking off two million year in profit. That'll get multiple offers within two weeks, like a oh, feeding wow. frenzy. Yeah. And what would the multiple be on that? You have five million in top line revenue, two million public comps are trading at you know whatever five times it's really rough out there but for a small company like this what would somebody expect you got two million in profits what would they expect the multiple to be what are you seeing today yeah typically we see uh for we release a report every six months based on all the acquisitions that we see so on average we see annual recurring revenue between four to seven x if it's a really profitable company, we've seen multiples on profit from like six to 11. Depends on the growth rate, the mm -hmm. type of business. Is there a strong management team in place? Um, there's a number of different factors that'll, you know, sway that multiple. But that's kind of the ranges that, that we see. So it's kind of in line with public comps. I would six say. million in, uh, so 2 million in profits times six, 12 million times 10. 20 million, something in that range. Um, and then when the markets were really hot, maybe two years ago, you started seeing very weird behavior, didn't you? In the marketplace? Yeah. Well, actually, so what we've seen is is something kind of nice. So in the last years, we saw founders coming on listing companies for, you know, a million in revenue, but pricing it at like 50x or something like that. Got and it. so there was a big issue of getting deals done because seller expectations were here and buyer expectations were here, very reflective of the venture markets. Mm. And so this year, we're actually seeing acquisitions accelerate because founders are starting to realize, okay, my business, you don't just take annual recurring revenue and just times by 50 or something like that. I wish it was that way. I really sure, do. Sure, we all do. But yeah, uh, but the it's The acquirer not. has to figure out a way to make their money back. And they're looking at it, I would think, uh, okay, can I can I get my money back in three, four, five years of running this business? Do I have a thesis on how I could grow this business and pay back the money uh, and, and then some, right? Yeah, exactly. And then it's also important to point out, you know, there's typically two types of buyers. There's financial buyers and strategic buyers. So mm. a financial buyer will be a private equity firm, sometimes, you know, an individual buyer. It, it really depends. Um, and they're going to be mostly focused on the profitability, like you said, like, can I get a payback within mm -hmm. four years? Then you have strategic acquirers. So we work with a lot of different, you know, public companies, corp dev teams, and they might be acquiring a company that it's just a team, like their mm. their revenue is low, it's minimal, but they'll still pay an outrageous multiple on that revenue because you're acquiring the team and the IP, etc. So it also depends on just the buyer and their reasoning mm. for buying the company. What What's the sweet spot in terms of sales right now on a marketplace like this? Obviously, if you're going to sell a company for a billion dollars, you're going to, you know, go to Allen and Company or Code Advisors or Catalyst or something. But where do you think your marketplace winds up in terms of the sweet spot? Things that are not too small, that it's not worth the time, and things that are not so big that you're going to put a team of bankers from Goldman Sachs or Allen and Company on it. Yeah, that's a good question. I would say um, upwards, we can handle, we have buyers that can transact up to, you know, nine figures, like hundreds of millions of dollars of values there. Mm. Um, so very large private equity firms, you know, public companies. But when you get up into 
you know, acquisitions of that size and that complexity, I'll be the first to admit, go hire an investment bank. Like this is a life changing transaction. You probably have investors involved, maximize that outcome however you can. But with that said, we have a network of M&A advisors, investment banks that we actually work with. So we'll actually refer you to the best bank or the best M&A advisor based on the size of your company, e-commerce, SaaS, um, hmm. whatever it might be, but directly on the marketplace. So that would be kind of like an off-market sale. Um, and then on the marketplace, I would say probably 10 million is probably where the revenue kind of caps out, you know, if if you're looking at this directly on the marketplace on your own. Um, but we have facilitated acquisitions ranging from as small as, you know, 10 K all the way up to, I believe our biggest is somewhere in the range of, you know, 15 million or something like that. So we haven't haven't gotten past that yet, but if the value is there, we do have buyers that can transact in, you know, much larger amounts. Let me tell you about a radically new type of solution in the skincare space. Formulate offers customized hair and skin solutions like shampoo, conditioner, moisturizer, scalp serum, and more. But here's what makes them different. Formulate will act as your own personal chemist. They will customize your formulas, adjust them over time to your needs and preferences, and coach you on how to make your hair and skin the healthiest it's been in forever. And the best part, you can do this all through Formulate's mobile app where you can speak to your chemist and dial in your formulas. And this solution is so amazing that I actually invested in the company. Every bottle is made to order and fresh, which helps deliver the highest dose of proteins and actives to your hair, scalp, and skin. I use it. I love it. Stop guessing and testing subpar pre-made products. Get the perfect formula for yourself. Let Formulate dial in a custom solution for you. And listen to this, Twist listeners can have their initial formulas designed by the founders of Formulate and get 25% off at formulate.co slash twist. That's F-O-R-M-U-L-A-T-E dot C-O slash twist for 25% off. It is a super cool company. Go check it out. Are founders starting to build businesses to flip them yet? I mean, we have like domain speculators who will buy a domain like Acquire or Inside. They'll develop it a bit and then they'll look for a buyer. Yeah, we've, it's been surprising. So when I started this business, um, and this is like a bug within MicroQuarry is you can only sell one business per account because mm-hmm. I thought who has like five startups? I mean, right. Makes whatever, no sense. You know, <laughs> but people do. And so mm-hmm. we've had multiple serial, we call them serial micro acquirers. We probably got to get mm-hmm. a new term now that it's acquire.com. But yeah. yeah, we've had people sell five six businesses and not just for 10k or 50k but there's one individual who in total has sold i believe i think the the record is nine and combined revenue or combined transaction value of all those businesses is in like eight nine ten million so Mm -hmm. he's made 10 million off acquire.com by selling all these businesses and sometimes he'll buy businesses and then flip them, like he'll improve them and flip oh, wow. them. Yeah, so he's so like he's, a, he's like somebody who's really good at buying homes and flipping them in a way. And I, and I'm only thinking of one person. This is a very common thing that we see is people will buy assets, resell assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so we yeah we see definitely multiple and serial buyers and serial sellers. So both sides. Uh, how do you you know help facilitate the transactions? It seems if somebody puts something up, you know the buyers. 
Do you kind of polish things up and then email folks and say, hey, you should probably know about this. This just came on the market. Do you have people who will dial and say, hey, do you want me to set up a meeting with this person? Because marketplaces need a little bit of uh, flywheel starting, right? A little grease on the wheels. How do, how do you yeah. get how do you get that going? Because that's sort of like custom services uh, in the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. So these are things that we're probably going to start charging for in the near future, but we do quite a bit of stuff for free. So if you're looking to sell your startup right now, sorry to plug right now, Jason, but no, that's fine to do a little mini plug. Sure. It's completely free. And so what we do is we'll put you in a newsletter that goes out to over 200,000 buyers. Mm. Um, so those are just people who have registered, people who have subscribed. Um, yeah, I get these. We'll Yep, we create social media posts that go across, mm. um, you know, ins- or Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. We have a private uh, buyer group that we share the deal with. Um, in certain cases, we will actually smile and dial. So we'll do, we'll create a sim mm. for the business. So we do quite a bit to get um, what's a sim? as many eyeballs on the company as possible to ensure you have the best chances of. Um, what's a sim a you said you create a sim yeah you know a sim, a sim it's a, just a, a dumb acronym for confidential information memorandum it's basically oh. like a pitch deck but backwards for selling your company got it um i may have heard that i mean i've heard memorandum but i've never heard the term sim but yeah there it is sim so are are people getting frisky or are they licking their wounds the buyers tell me about the buyers in a recession yeah, so I would say it's it's too early for me to make a prediction in terms of where this market is going, but I can speak to what we have been seeing. So mm-hmm, we've been yeah. seeing an increase in buyers registering. Like huh. last month was our highest month of registered buyers. We signed up, I believe, actually, we I know it was 12,042 or something like that. And, mm. and we average around like 8,000 per month signups on buyers. And then on the sell side, we also saw um, like a 34% increase in terms of the amount of sellers signing up. So startups oh. registering to sell their business. And then we saw um, a 38% increase in offers sent to startups. So basically what I'm saying is um, we're seeing more buyers sign up than we've ever seen. Um, and this isn't from increased marketing spend or anything like that. In- yeah, it makes more sense startups. Though. Yeah, so I think what we're we're starting to see is, you know, we went through last year where everyone's just kind of like, what's going on? Where's the bottom? And now I think uh, with buyers, they're seeing opportunity in the market. And I think we're also seeing, unfortunately, startups in the market starting to realize, you know, maybe it's time to see if we can find some sort of acquisition. Yeah, so it makes sense. You know, this is reminds me of, Andrew, like real estate. I remember when real estate markets, you know, having bought, I've bought two, three, four, five properties in my life and over five transactions, I, you know, you learn a little bit each time and in the down market after the great recession, uh, 2008, 2009 uh, time period, you know, buyers who had bought, you know, at X price were really having a hard time accepting X times 0.7. And then the buyers on the other side were like, well, this house is worth 0.6. This is what I'm willing to pay for it. And oh, and you're seeing that right now, right? Like hot markets like Austin, we're getting $2,000 a square foot. Now the same homes that I've been looking at, I've been looking at the same homes because I consider to move to Austin are now going for a thousand. Like literally they have people are going 50% off in some cases. Um, and, but it takes a while for people to kind of get there. And I think 
for some folks, if they can't raise funding, this is what I see from my side. If you can't raise funding uh, and you've tried everything and you're, you're on fumes, you're going to try selling because it's better than shutting down. Yeah. And I, I would also note that we've been seeing increase a dramatic increase in the amount of venture back businesses than we typically mm. have before. And again, we typically service um, companies that haven't raised capital. Um, and I think that's a great thing because typically, you know, when you run out of money, you just kind of shut the company down, even yeah, if you zero have return. Great, but you have great IP, you have great customers, there's something of value there. Yeah, a team. And so even if you don't, you know, become a millionaire or whatever as a founder and your investors don't, you know, see everything, at least just getting something back and having the company yeah. live to fight another day. I think um, the part... It's obviously not the most ideal outcome for a startup, but it de-risks entrepreneurship, in my view, where, yeah. you know, you may not have achieved the goals you wanted to, but, um, yeah, we're seeing a lot of those types of businesses that are just looking for, you know, what I'd call like a soft landing, acquire, buy mm. the IP, take the team, what have you. Yeah, I, I think it's very wise for founders to try and make your investors whole, and you can always do a carve out. So. Let's say you've raised five million for your business and somebody's willing to pay five million for it. Okay, the the founding team gets nothing then and the f investors get their money's back, get their money back. You can always go to your board and say, Hey, listen, we got a five million dollar offer. Would it be okay for us to carve out a million of it? And you guys take 80 cents on the dollar and the team gets a million bucks in incentives or whatever. And you know, we see this over and over again. So I think having that mature conversation with your investors. And then what that does is if you even I've had people return 10, 20, 30 cents on the dollars, Andrew, I think, oh, they, they did right by us because I've seen other people with six months of cash in the bank be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to give everybody six months severance and shut this down. And I'm like, you're not going to even try to sell it. And like, yeah, I, I emailed three people. I'm like, did you really do your job then? And it just puts you in a bucket as an investor. You put that founder in a bucket of like, well, I'm probably not going to fund them again uh, because they didn't go down swinging. I like to see a founder go down swinging. I'm not saying you have to, you know, spend burn two or three years of your life going down swinging, but six months going down swinging. I'd like to see you battle to the end. You never know. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that point. And I think, you know, to defend maybe that founder in just the slightest bit is acquisitions are hard and complex and can take a long time. And, um, you know, maybe they don't even know where to start. And so with acquire.com, you know, you even if you're not looking to sell right now and maybe you don't know if you're going to be able to get to that next fundraise you can still start building those conversations and those relationships now mm -hmm. just in case you need them down the line i like that yeah do like a little soft sell do a little like check test the markets why, you know why not you never yeah. know tell me about the difference between we we know what software businesses go for what about content businesses and services businesses i see a lot of people with services businesses you know they build websites for people are people who have content or community-based sites how do those get valued are those popular too are there buyers for those yeah so we when we when i first launched um microquire.com i'm gonna gosh i gotta get used to saying that yeah um, you'll get there yeah um we were only focused on i should say just me um but i was only focused on SaaS businesses so we just started listing content businesses so i don't have too much data to really speak on that but they sell also like crazy because mm. the transfer is so much easier if you're just thinking about it. It's just a website and a domain and traffic and yep. ads. And there's there's literally public companies that just roll up content websites. 
Yes. Like there are PE firms that are extremely profitable and they just have content websites. Yep. I did not know this. This is just yeah. a completely different world of tech and it's just content websites. It's I mean, look at CNET and CBS and Yahoo and AOL that Jim Lanzone's running those assets. Uh, you have Bankoff with Vox who bought Recode and Curbed and a bunch of a New York magazine, a bunch of assets over there. He also bought Weblogs Inc. when he was at AOL, uh, my company. And then um, there's John Miller, who was Jim Bankoff's boss. He bought Wikia and Wikia bought a bunch of assets. In fact, I think they bought some of the assets that were owned by CBS and CNET for a while, including like Metacritic, which I wanted to buy at some point because I saw that's a very cool website. Yeah. Another another trend that I think is really cool is um, existing businesses buying media companies. Like we saw HubSpot mm. buy The Hustle. Yes. We saw Stripe buy Indie Hackers. We saw Zapier buy MakerPad. And there's been a number of others. And I think yeah, that that's trend's really gonna that's gonna continue as well. Um and Salesforce is buying all in podcasts for a hundred million dollars. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> List, listed on acquire.com biggest listed on acquire.com andrew guys yes. daggy made his 10 million dollar chip off of that i yep, mean yep. it is yeah it's hilarious i the hustle is amazing that they the hubspot bought that but if you think about it is you know if hubspot is spending a bunch on advertising and they're spending whatever 10 20 30 million dollars a year on podcast advertising if they buy a podcast or they buy an event and it works out maybe they will wind up saving money and they have their own property. I know the HubSpot team reached out to me over and over again. They were like, hey, well, this week in startups, join the HubSpot podcasting network. I'm like, you have a podcasting network? What? <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah. No, no, thank you. Uh, it's very nice of you, but not for us. I mean, unless you I, I, th I think it's a great move. If you're, yeah. you know, a venture-backed business and you have capital, because we have a number of different newsletters, mm. communities, yeah assets like that that you can purchase like specifically one that comes to mind is we have a, a number of different like sales communities and if you're mm. a sales tech company though I, I see those and i'm like oh man you're gonna get acquired by sales big vc back sales um makes sense company but what about I think things like are, a linkedin group or a facebook group things that are built on other people's platform has anybody ever tried to sell those so back in the day and this is a true story I sold, I can't, I won't say the handle name, but it was okay. on Instagram and it was a picture. It just was an account with like 5 million followers full oh. of dog pictures. Got great, it. great asset if you're an e-commerce company sure. selling dog food or something like that. But other than that, we don't sell because mm. I think it's against LinkedIn's terms of service and I Facebook's think terms of service. LinkedIn, Twitter, and, and then Instagram also, all say that you can't, but I, I, I have talked to Elon about it and we've talked publicly about it, there will be an aftermarket for handles on Twitter. Twitter used to not be able to sell handles. So there would be like this, like, oh, I'll hire you as a consultant and throw in the handle, right? But they should be auctioned off just like domain names are, right? So if you somebody wants to buy at Jason for a million dollars, like I'd consider it, I guess, and go back to at Jason Calacanis. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they have a lot of value, especially yeah. if they have the audience and the reach. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I'm happy with that, Jason. On I have Jason at Jason on Twitter, Instagram, and I have Jason on Tumblr. Yeah, uh, you so. know, you know, I'm after at acquire, so I'm, I'll be uh, well. You know, when that I know you, <laughs> you see me and Elon about 17 <laughs> times. Thank you for that. Um, no, I think when it does, I think what their the plan is to have an. I mean, Elon's been pretty upfront about this is to just 
let people resell them and then take a cut, right? So if I want to sell at Jason and the platform gets, I don't know, I'm picking a number 25% of it or 30% of it, like that seems fair to me. Um, Twitter has then an aftermarket. And if you haven't used your Twitter handle and there's a premium, like, a, you know, at acquire or at acquired or whatever it is, like, sure, why not let you and the acquired team go at it, right? I mean, you know, and have a bidding war for it. Why yeah, not? I'm, I'm, I'm all for anything that is acquisition. Mm. So that's, yeah, I, I like it. All right. Well, listen, continue success with the business. If you're out there and you're looking to sell your company, check out acquire.com. And uh, where can we see a supercut of all these Russ ha Hammerman uh, or Chris, Chris's uh, Andrew Gazdecki <laughs> video? So they all, I wish there was a playlist somewhere. I guess you just got to follow micro acquire and look on the media you, tab. Yeah. If you go on YouTube, you can just type in um, Russ Hammerman. Yeah, Russ Hanner and Mike Quarry, you can find a few. But um, if you want to learn more about Quarry.com, um, just go to our website, yeah. sign up, and we'll be happy to assist you. Congrats on all the success. And uh, for my founders out there, you know, if you can get me back 50 cents on the dollar, I'm going to think a lot better of you than if you get me back zero on the dollar, you know, because I have LPs and, you know, like uh, getting something is better than getting nothing. So give it a shot, you know, try to try to get a save if, uh, you know, if it doesn't work out, we expect seven, eight out of 10 of our investments to go to zero. So why not try to get a win out of those, you know, you get a win out of a couple of those. It's, uh, it helps everybody. All right, Andrew, good luck with everything. Everybody check out acquire.com previously known as FKA micro acquire. Take care, yeah, Andrew. Guys, Daggy. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye. All right, that's it for today, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your MLK day. Hopefully you're doing some service in your community. We will catch you tomorrow for more tech news. Bye-bye.